one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey y'all, Ryan Sprague here. As you all know, the Somewhere in the Skies podcast is always free to consume, but it isn't free to create. That's why I've started the Somewhere in the Skies Patreon campaign. On a monthly basis, you give what you think the show is worth. You'll be helping the show continue, grow, and to be something truly communal. And remember, there are rewards for each level of contribution, and the list is only growing. So please, help Somewhere in the Skies now by becoming a patron. To contribute and to learn more, visit www.patreon.com backslash somewhere skies. Thank you for your support. And now, on with the show. The global public is not ready to have global confirmation of this. A lot of disturbing things will occur. It's just too powerful. Skinwalker Ranch... This is like the Area 51 of the paranormal. It was not a single phenomenon. There were a host of things that happened. Have there been experiences there that have shaken the Pentagon and CIA and other agencies? Absolutely. Nobody knows what we're dealing with. That's the bottom line. Nobody knows. This is 30 or 40 hours of material that the public has never seen before. They saw this humanoid creature crawling through this tunnel, hovering four feet above the ground. Something forced four 2,000-pound bulls to cram themselves into this trailer without opening this door. It's completely impossible. I've seen things that I can't explain. This was one of the most surprising things that we recorded right after I purchased the ranch. Is it real? Oh, yes, I believe it is. Something is here. These are real, tangible, physical events. This is game-changing. It's one thing to be reading about UFOs or other realities or interdimensionals. It's another thing to be staring at it right in the face. This is Somewhere in the Skies. Ryan Spread. Welcome to Somewhere in the Skies. I'm your host, Ryan Sprague. Today, We're talking about an area in the western United States that has been deemed the Disneyland of the paranormal. UFOs, cattle mutilations, horrific creatures, apparitions, electrical and magnetic forces that rip metal and steel from its hinges, and endless amounts of other strange activity. This is the Utah property known as Skinwalker Ranch. And today... We have the director and filmmaker of a new documentary about these mysteries surrounding the ranch. 
Jeremy Corbell finally returns to Somewhere in the Skies. Based on the best-selling book by George Knapp and Dr. Colm Kelleher, Hunt for the Skinwalker, Corbell's deeply disturbing film is an intimate and unnerving portrait of the events surrounding the most extensive scientific study of a paranormal hotspot in human history. We dive deep into how this all came to be, what Corbell personally experienced, and we even get the exclusive that will rock the UFO community and beyond in relation to the secret Pentagon UFO program and its stunning connections to Skinwalker Ranch. Let's get to my conversation with Jeremy Corbell. Jeremy, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. It's my pleasure, Ryan. I'm excited to be here with you. Awesome, man. I mean, the last time we spoke, you were just starting work on what we're going to be talking about today. So to see this come to fruition, the film releases tomorrow. That is The Hunt for the Skinwalker. I, I'm so excited to have you back. It's come full circle, brother. Thanks, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it. it. It is a very exciting time. I'm shocked and amazed I was able to make this movie not only in general, but also in the short timeline. You know, however, work had been going on this movie for almost two dec- over two decades by my mentor in journalism, George Knapp, you know, and that's, you know, some of the footage I was able to use. So this project has been almost 30 years in the making. Yes, yes. And it definitely shows. We'll get into that as well, the archival footage that you uncovered, as it were. But before we even get to the main focus of the interview, I wanted to talk briefly about your other film. So many of my listeners are also fascinated by this topic. That's Area 51, S4, and Mr. Bob Lazar, the enigmatic man behind Area 51. So you have exclusive interviews with Bob. You, you've spoken to him on many occasions. Uh, You have rare footage over 30 years of this man's life in terms of what he's brought forward. So maybe before we even get into Skinwalker, could you tease us a little bit about the film Bob Lazar and what that's going to focus on in December? This will be released, correct? Yeah, actually, there will be a premiere in Los Angeles at the Ace Hotel movie theater they call The Theater. It's a 1600 person theater. Uh, It's going to be epic, and that's December 3rd will be the world premiere, and it will actually be an invitational event. People will be able to buy tickets. Bob and I will be hosting it. Just to give you a little bit of information on the Bob Lazar film, so the way I make films, I really immerse myself. Uh, I need a willing participant because when I do these documentary narrative films kind of about people's you know, who they are, not just their story, but who they are, it requires that I go live with them as an example. Uh, So with Bob over the years, I've gone and lived with him and filmed his every move, his daily life for weeks at a time. And he uh, also came and lived with me for a while. And so it was a way to get to know, I mean, really, we're just having fun, having a, you know, like a vacation, (laughs) but it's also a time to really get to know the, the the daily habits and the details of an individual, which is so essential in the Bob Lazar story. So it's a very in-depth, personal, humanizing film. Nothing good comes from the UFO field for him. This is a reluctant UFO messiah. It changed his life. This week, we've heard the contention of UFO researchers that there is a secret government within our government. Well, there's several, uh, actually nine flying saucers, flying discs, 
that are out there of extraterrestrial origin. The live interview with the shadowy Dennis drew international attention. Portions were broadcast by radio in six European countries and in a nationally televised TV special in Japan. Despite numerous inquiries and feelers, Dennis has remained anonymous until now. His real name is Robert Lazar. He says he was hired to work at an area called S-4, which is a few miles south of Groom Lake. At S-4, he says, are flying saucers, antimatter reactors, and other working examples of technology that is seemingly beyond human capabilities. I did not believe that this should be a security matter. Some of it, sure. But just the concept that there's definite proof. We even have articles from another world, another system. You just can't not tell everyone. It was like a Twilight Zone episode. It just kept getting stranger. The fact that that was happening at all was the weirdest part. Look, it's been 30 years, and all of a sudden you raised it to this level? You know, this is a powerful technology, fearsome technology, and you just don't want everyone to have it. It'll become obvious how to make constructive as well as destructive devices from it. It's my only guess as to why they have never released information. It's kind of difficult once you release the technology to be analyzed and give it to everyone. They can just run with it. You really can't keep the weapon potential hidden. You really can't. Look, with ET technology, you can literally rule the world. Well... I am telling the truth. I, I, I've tried to prove that uh, what's going on up there could be the most important event in history. You're talking about contact, physical, <laughs> physical contact, and proof of, from another another system, another planet, another intelligence. That's got to be the biggest event in history. Period. And it's real. And it's real, and it's there. It's not a film just trying to prove or disprove his claims. That's for you to do. This is showing you and giving you more information to base your belief system on. Ultimately, Bob's story, and he said many times, he cannot prove it beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if you look at it and you start to add up the pluses compared to the minuses, that's when you make an educated Guess that's when you your belief has value. Your belief is based on something. So that's what I'm trying to do with the film is provide that to you. For those of your audience who don't know who Bob Lazar is, he is uh, probably I, I call him the, the Elvis of ufology. He's he's his story is singularly, in my opinion, and this is why I wanted to do this movie, the most important UFO testimony that there has ever been. Because if his story is true. It is literally game-changing for, the, for humanity, for the human race. So, so Bob Lazar is a former government physicist that we can prove at Los Alamos. He's a former government physicist who basically made headlines in 1989 when he came forward with his account of reverse engineering alien spacecraft for the U.S. military. He came forward through George Knapp on the news in shadow – as uh, you know, with the pseudonym Dennis, he didn't reveal his identity at first, and um, that's the reason the public even knows about Area Fifty One is because the the, the word the words Area Fifty One only known because Lazar talked about it, and and he talked about what he was doing at that formerly secret military base. So he was kind of Lazar was kind of burdened with this revolutionary secret he was holding. 
And he had to choose between his oath to his country or basically his conscience. I mean, he was scared for his life if we follow Bob's testimony and what he said happened to him. So again, his testimony remains the most controversial, that's for sure. And in my opinion, the most important UFO story of all time. So my film will intimately chronicle kind of the challenges and travails of of being a cosmic whistleblower, what he went through. And it investigates, you know, his groundbreaking claims, absolutely, and also shines a light on the devastating impact that that coming forward had on his life. I mean, the UFO field, the UFO subject has done nothing good for Bob Lazar. And you've heard that before. But but to really understand that, you need to know Bob. You need to see him in his daily life, which you will in my film. And you will see that what occurred in his life because of coming forward about these UFO claims, I mean, it's done nothing good for a man. It's been bad for him. So, you know, now his life is leveling out to some degree. And, and we thought, you know, people didn't care anymore. We thought that the, the eyes that he had on him during that time. But you'll see in my film, that might not be the case. There's some dramatic moments. So this film will alter the landscape of the debate on Bob Lazar. You know, he blew the whistle. He shocked the world. But he kind of went silent. And, and it was really hard to get anything out from him for 30 years. For the first time, in depth, in cinema, you will see who Bob is. You will see his story. You'll see what he went through. And you'll see the people closest to him and that have surrounded him for 30 years and, and see what they think. So the film is not you know, a binary film of prove or disprove every detail of the Lazar's claims. I'm trying to give you something much more powerful, which is insight to, to his character. Absolutely. And I mean, you also, in the recent past, you found people who claimed that they worked with Lazar there. They saw him there, which I think is a big contention in the field of finding other people that were connected to Bob. And again, that's something that you uncovered and that I assume you're going to bring forward in the film as well. So that's extremely powerful testimony for sure. Yeah. And let's be clear, not, nobody that worked at S4, there, there were 22 people in, in the project that he worked on at S4. There, there's nobody who has ever come forward that even Bob believes worked at S4. Uh, however, yes, I was able to find colleagues of his that could go on record with me, that worked with him in scientific capacity in security briefings with Bob at Los Alamos, which is always something that people tried to diminish Bob, that he was never at Los Alamos. And even George Knapp saying, look, Bob took me there. I took a camera. We went around. He worked there as a scientist at the Maison Particle Accelerator at the, at the facility. But no one would come forward. Now, I've talked to a lot of people that have worked with Bob in scientific capacity. They just can't go on record. So that was the win, was to get somebody who said, yes, I worked at Los Alamos with Bob Lazar. But as far as his claims at S4, sub-base of Area 51, no, we don't, we don't have anybody. But there are ripples. There are things that are very intriguing about his claims. He was put through his paces, for example, about when he landed at Area 51. And remember, this is back in 1989. Nobody even knew the name Area 51. But he was put through his paces from employees of Area 51. George Knapp set it up. He passed with flying colors. He knew exactly the color of the paint, how meals were purchased, and he didn't even spend a lot of time at Area 51. That's just where he did, you know, basic, uh, you know, intake on his way to S4, according to his claims. So 
Anyway, it's a complicated story. There are things that I found out. I found people who have been not been able to be found in 30 years. So this film will reveal some things that people don't know. That's awesome, man. I can't wait. We did a episode on on Lazar in the past, and it remains one of the highest downloaded episodes. So the interest clearly is still there, and I know it's only going to peak once this comes out. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. I can't wait for that in December. And, and there's just – yeah, there's just so much footage too. That's the, the real struggle, Ryan, mm-hmm. is is taking the years of work that I've put in, You know, starting with interviews back in 2013, and – Putting all of this together into a two-hour film with maybe probably two hours of bonus material, that's a monumental task. Think about it this way. The world has had in total three to four hours in total of testimony from Bob Lazar over 30 years. Okay, <laughs> That's about to be doubled overnight, and that's the tip of the iceberg of how deep I've gone with interviews with, with Bob. So the world's going to change according to his story, with his story. It's going to change. Wow, that really puts it into perspective. That's another big thing, man, is spending all this time doing your research, investigating, and trying to get it into two hours max into a film. I can only imagine that was the challenge for your next film, the reason we're, we're really here today, and that's Hunt for the Skinwalker, which right. drops tomorrow, September yep. 11th. And this is a massive undertaking, man. Having viewed the film recently, thank you, by the way, I've watched it twice already. Some listeners, you know, they may not be too familiar with what Skinwalker Ranch is, but for those who may not be, maybe you could give us kind of a brief overview of where Skinwalker Ranch is, a little about maybe the Gorman family, sort of that history, if you wouldn't mind, kind of giving us the condensed version. Yeah, it's really important that people understand the basics. I want to first put it in relation to modern day, though, because that's really what this movie, it's breaking a story. This is news. This is something that the news is taking seriously. This film is breaking a story. It's because the story has been, it's it's been wrong up till now with the New York Times and, and all the information about UFOs and the Pentagon's $22 million program. So this is a big deal. And let me just bring it first into context of modern day. So last year, the world learned about the Pentagon's secret study of UFOs from the New York Times. That was December 2017. They, they announced there was a $22 million program, uh, $22 million that was spent to investigate so-called flying saucers. But the real story is much bigger. There wasn't just one UFO study. There were two the Pentagon's other larger investigation, it, it delved into mysteries that were far more profound and far more disturbing than these alleged alien you know, aircraft. It, its focus was on a living laboratory and a, a paranormal hotspot known as Skinwalker Ranch. So modern day, that's why I put this movie out now, because it relates to it, it, everything that's going on in UFO news, and people don't even know it yet. So what is Skinwalker Ranch? Okay, Skinwalker Ranch is formerly a 480-acre ranch. It has now expanded its landmass, right, by the new owner. <laughs> okay. And uh, basically, it, it, it was used as a living laboratory. Hundreds of reports of phenomena, if not thousands, have occurred at Skinwalker Ranch that have made it one of the most famous paranormal hotspot in the world. It is also the most scientifically studied paranormal, for lack of a better word, paranormal hotspot in history. So 
what makes Skinwalker Ranch unique is it's got this kind of sexy history that, you know, Robert Bigelow, who aerospace um, billionaire, entrepreneur, really incredible dude, what he's done. It's famous because he bought this land and studied it with a scientific group of his own device. He put it all together and got these great PhD level scientists to come and study the phenomenon, all the occurrences, the phenomena that were occurring at this ranch. But we now know that the Defense Intelligence Agency, through the $22 million, which was allocated for Skinwalker Ranch as the primary motivation for this study, which people don't know yet, but you're going to see it in the film and and the bonus material. So basically, there was a scientific study by our Defense Intelligence Agency to determine if what was occurring at the ranch caused any need for, for a national security look at what's going on. If it was a threat to national security, what could they glean and garner from the events and the phenomena? So the United States military took seriously and takes seriously what's going on at this special ranch in northeastern Utah, which is, by the way, just in the middle of a hot spot. It's a living laboratory because it could be used to study the phenomenon, but it, it, it's not the, the center of all the phenomenon. I, I, I don't uh, phenomena. I don't think. I mean, right. it could be, but the Uinta Basin is just it, its landscape is pocked with stories over generations of everything from UFOs to creatures to dimensional portholes to fear-inducing orbs to cattle mutilation. Everything under the sun. It's a paranormal Disneyland. If it's to be believed that this stuff is happening there. And I got to tell you, everybody I've ever engaged who has spent time in that area, it's real. It's happening. And that's something we got to deal with. And like you mentioned, like it's not just the ranch. You personally found other areas in Utah where this was happening. The Skinwalker Ridge, uh, Dark Canyon. This one really stuck out to me in the film. Would you mind give us maybe a little history about what... What the tribes there believe this dark canyon to be. And uh, and then I want to sort of get into like how you personally were able to get on to the ranch. We'll get there. But yeah, this dark canyon, this really stuck out to me. Right. So I guess it's important to understand that Skinwalker Ranch is private land, kind of like an island w- within a sovereign nation. The, the Ute tribe... Uh, has control of the nation. Abraham Lincoln, you know, basically mandated the the settlement there. And it was and has been a place of high activity, you know, before that and and during, you know, and since then. So there's uh, tribal lore that goes along with explaining, you know, what a skinwalker is. And that's just a term that was used for the book by uh, Dr. Colin Kelleher and uh, George Knapp, which is Hunt for the Skinwalker, because, in the native lore, skinwalker is a, a shaman, a trickster, something that its form. It's kind of a catch-all phrase for this type of uh, phenomena. So that's that's what's used. Dark Canyon geographically is an interesting place. It's in the mountains where uh, kind of streams come down and flow through all the way past Skinwalker Ranch. And so it is understood culturally that it's kind of the the place where the the where the phenomenon originates from. It's it's the, the home of the skinwalker, as they say. So take that for, for what you will. Let it be lore or actual physical truth. I don't know. But it is a sacred place. And, and the other thing I want to say is 
you can't – first of all, you can't just go to Skinwalker Ranch. It is the Area 51 of the paranormal. You need more security getting through to, to that land than, than, than I'd imagine even Area 51. Less people certainly have ever been allowed on that land. You can't just go there. So I feel very grateful that I've been – you know, through the work of my mentor, George Knapp, I've been able to be part of this journey and for the first time in history – film and document on the ranch itself and bring that footage off for you. And that's because the new owner wants openness, wants people to see it. Obviously, you can't let everybody, you know, come to the ranch and all this. I mean, there are real dangers to that, actual dangers to that. But, you know, he does want the information out. And so that's why I was able to do that. The tribe also, in history, they have never allowed anybody to come fill film on tribal land and take that footage off. I mean, everything you've seen with like Joe Rogan going there and everybody who's ever gone there and film, they were never on tribal land. They were never even near the ranch. They never made it past the gate. Yeah. Well, definitely not past the gate, but actually that episode wasn't even near the ranch. Okay. So, yeah. So basically we actually got real authorization to film and take that footage off. And we did film in Dark Canyon, one of these epicenters of high activity. And it was stunning. Yeah. I remember... I think it was the day you had gotten permission from the tribe. You sent me a, a text and a photo that day, and you're like, dude, I'm on. I'm here. And I, I had no idea what you were talking about, because at that point, you were still very secretive about this project right. you were doing. Uh, but I was so honored to have received that that picture message. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, what is he doing? <laughs> so that was great. really cool, man. Um, yeah, but by necessity, you know, my team of people people, we had to be very cautious. And that's because trust really needed to be earned and nurtured. And man, it really paid off. You know, as a journalist, it really paid off. But yeah, it's been years engaging the property and the area and the witnesses. And it's really come together beautifully. And I really hope I can move the ball forward and get some of the concerns out from the people who have been witnesses and affected by the phenomenon. Absolutely. I mean, okay, so let's Let's sort of let's backtrack to when Knapp and Kelleher first got involved with this. Now, their book came out, and this was during a time when Bigelow owned the ranch, and this project under the acronym NIDS was created. Is that right? Yeah, National Institute of Discovery Science. That was a you know a scientific organization created by Robert Bigelow, who most people will know because of his NASA contracts and his attachable space station called Beam that he attached to the International Space Station. So he is an interesting individual, and yes, he created NIDS, and that's when George was because of his previous friendship with Robert Bigelow. You know, he was allowed to be a fly on the wall and, and he was actually allowed to document during the time of the active investigations, talking with the scientists as events were unfolding. However, he was never allowed to put the footage out. He wanted to make a documentary. Robert Bigelow didn't want basically eyes and heat on the property. He wanted to preserve the study. Eventually, he let George Knapp and Dr. Colin Kelleher, who is lead scientist of that investigation, over those investigations, I mean, also the Defense Intelligence Agency investigations, but he was allowed to write a book, George Knapp and Dr. Colin Kelleher, and kind of tell the world what's going on, what was going on there. And that's because the activity started to diminish, you know, it's like it, it didn't like to be observed. Uh, it started to diminish. It's back, but yeah, that was yeah, we'll <laughs> that, get into that, that. That was what happened. That's NIDS, National Institute for Discovery Science. That was for Robert Bigelow. That was one of two major scientific studies during that era: one private, one government, and now one another. A third study is ensuing. Right, right. So 
I got to ask, how did you personally get involved with skin, the Skinwalker case? You know, you've worked with Knapp in the past, so I assume that had something to do with it. Tell us how you got involved with all this. Yeah, I mean, the, the only way into this story was through uh, George Knapp. I mean, he was the one who's been following this story uh, for over two decades, almost three there's a lot of people that claim great knowledge about Skinwalker Ranch and they've, you know, they've really looked into it. Well, I mean, it just, that's just not true. It just pales in comparison. Uh, George Knapp has been following the story and hasn't let it go for 25 plus years. You can't uh, get that kind of experience, that footage, being exposed to internal documents, to briefings. The whole reason the Defense Intelligence Agency and 22 million from Harry Reid happened was because of George, was because of his book, was because of Skinwalker Ranch. That is the whole reason, and people will learn about that. So so George really is the entrance point and the everything to this story, and I luckily do a lot of work with George Knapp. And man, I pestered him, I bothered him, and I was like, I want to see the footage, you know, and it's it was sensitive. It is sensitive. But over time, I wore him down, he let me in, and boom, there was an opportunity. The sale of the ranch in 2016, that moment really provided a window of opportunity where all of this information could then be put together in the form of a film because the rules had changed. So it was kind of like, you know, durational over time, we're wearing down George, saying, show me the footage, show me the boxes, let's organize this, let's get into this. And then opportunity struck. And that's why you could see this film and I had to jam on it. So, you are given permission to go to the ranch, you bring this team with you to start documenting. How was it when you first arrived? I can't even imagine finally getting there, getting onto the land where all of these things you've heard for so long were being reported. What did you feel and experience when you first got there? I mean, I remember hearing a story about you and the security there had a pretty intense feeling, you know, the two of you at one point. Could you maybe sort of run us through what your initial feelings were when you got onto the land? Sure. I mean, you know, honestly, I'm not one of these like touchy feely guys. I put on my skeptical hat, you know, probably the, the a bigger skeptical hat that I've ever put on. And, you know, I was really, really trying to look and see if I could p- poke holes in it. I mean, it, it was and it remains this conundrum to me. Uh, you know, I've got these really highly credible people that have confided in me with with no reason for the outside world to hear their stories. And, and I just it, – it's just very difficult to wrap my little brain around is, is that what is going on there is as described. So upon – Entering the property for the first time, I mean, there is absolute excitement and some ominous feel, but really a lot of skepticism and just trying to see if, hey, if if any of this is true, maybe I'll be lucky enough to to observe it. And and that's the, you know, you you can't just go to the perimeter of Skinwalker Ranch and dip your toe, you know, across the fence and, you know, drive home and say, oh, I've had this great paranormal experience. (laughs) I mean, that's just not how it happens. The NIDS team you know, what was there for seven years, constant 24-hour surveillance, they had 100 documented incidents. So think about that. Seven years, 100 incidents. I mean, you got to go spend more than a night, a day, even on the ranch yeah. or surrounding the ranch. So, you know, I, I knew those were the odds and I knew that's what was going on. But the place does have a way of conveying its its high strangeness to you. And, and there's not a single person that, that lives in that area without a personal story. 
or more. Right. And that's really, really where the film hit me. Uh, these powerful moments where you actually interviewed people who'd experienced things, witnesses, and you personally interviewed a mother and a son who what they believe was skinwalker activity. And dude, this was such a vulnerable moment in the film that I had to stop watching at one point and kind of recalibrate my feelings because again, just like you. Life is full of awesome. What ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs. That's why United healthcare provides health protector guard, fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I, I'm skept- I was always skeptical about the whole Skinwalker mystery and what it really conveyed or how it really affected people. And now I'm seeing through these witnesses that it's scary. It's life-threatening. And that really hit me. And this isn't, you know, some just cool paranormal or ufological story. This is dangerous. And you, you stress that a lot in the film. So maybe could you describe to us this moment when you interviewed the mother and the son and how that translated to you about what was going on there? Yeah. So that was Janice and Gary and their local residents. They border Skinwalker property for over 30 years. And again, remember, it's a living laboratory used to study the area Skinwalker Ranch, but it is not, in my opinion, the central um, focus of the phenomenon. I'm not sure where is. So this was a very powerful moment I included in the movie because it was very powerful to me. I did not anticipate what was going to happen. I had been talking with Janice for months and she and we had built a, a great friendship and she was always very jovial and upbeat and seemed to have a very unique relationship to the high strangeness that occurs in her area and in the in everybody's lives. Some of the events were very frightening if I had experienced them, but she always seemed to have this strong opinion about it. She didn't seem scared by it. She has had many dramatic encounters where there's physical evidence. I mean, where her animals have been killed, murdered, you know, and she dealt with all this really well. And I never saw a crack in her armor. And then she comes to meet me for her first on-camera interview, first time we're actually physically meeting. And again, we had become great friends for maybe more than 10 months over the phone, talking every weekend for maybe an hour. And I pushed record. And the moment I hit record on the camera, you know, she shatters into a thousand pieces. I mean, she just breaks down. And 
it, it shocked me. It really shocked me. And, and I think in retrospect, I realized that she had been carrying this burden that she really couldn't talk to people about. Not even in the local community, people don't want to talk about it because they think it invokes more activity. So she was really isolated and I think it really was painful and she has a lot of fear about what physical harm has been caused possibly by the phenomenon to her immediate family and to her friends and neighbors. People have lost their lives due to what appear to be radiation effects by direct exposure to these AAVs or UAPs or UFOs. So that's the moment you see in the movie is this real, honest, humanizing moment where you see that this is not just a kind of fun, scary story, that there's real world implications to what's going on. And there's real questions that people have. Is this the government or is this truly paranormal? And again, it was a turning point in the film for me, as I know it will be for other people. And it really doesn't hit you until you actually see that that moment. And for me, I'm all about witness testimony and the people experiencing this. So it really hit home with me. But, you know, moving toward back towards maybe the scientists involved with this, Jeremy. I mean, yes, it's dangerous, but they did try to play games with these phenomena, you know, try to try to repeat things. And that clearly is not what happens on this ranch or in the surrounding areas. There's no repeatability of things. You know, there's no way to properly study it scientifically. And things were happening all over. They set up cameras, cameras go down. They set up tripwire, tripwire goes haywire. So it's just amazing to me. So maybe we could sort of run through some of what the scientists experienced while they were there, if, if there's any that really stand out to you. Oh, there are. Yeah. I mean, as as George Knapp has, you know, kind of often said, science got its ass kicked. It really did. You have some of the top scientists and from molecular biologists to physicists tackling this problem with almost unlimited resources for a durational period. And at the end of the day, they, they kind of came out of it with more questions than answers. You know, the, the fly in the ointment, as it's said by Dr. Colin Kelleher, is that extraterrestrials, that hypothesis, it, it doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. I mean, yes, there are hard physical craft. Uh, there appear to be orange dimensional portholes with, with craft coming through, with beings, with actual physical beings coming through. But th- there seems to be a lot more going on that, that can't be described by the extraterrestrial hypothesis. So Dr. John Alexander, he famously said, it appears that the phenomenon is a precognitive sentient intelligence, M- you know, meaning it's a sentient intelligence, but it has some precognitive abilities. So let me explain that with a specific example of something that happened the scientists had to tackle. I mean, what do you do with this? So one of the you know, occurrences that can be quantified, obviously, are these cattle mutilations. You you have these dead animals that are eviscerated uh, or beyond eviscerated, and and you have you know physical. You can tell that 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 these animals were mutilated with metallic tools, two different kinds. So there, there's that kind of thing that scientists can study, and they can look at, and they can look at the biology and understand you know, from the mutilations, some of what's going on. But then you have really highly, highly strange events that, that science can't tackle as easily. And this is an example. So we call the 
you know, the, the ranchers, the, the Gormans out of respect, uh, not using their actual name, which is public, but I'm just not going to say it. So, uh, Tom Gorman is out and he's, you know, looking at his, his, his cattle and he mentions to his wife, you know, we got these four bulls and they're kind of like our top prize bulls. And, and, you know, man, I really hope that whatever this is, is not going to mess with those. Next thing, they're about to go out into town. They're driving by the pen. And, and I've been in the pen. I mean, there is nowhere to go. You can see all around you. There's nowhere to go. All of a sudden, he goes by the pen. The bulls are not there. It's an impossible scenario. There's no way out unless you let these locks off and open this big gate. Where did the bulls go? So instinctively, he looks over and there's this this trailer that butts up against the pen there. And he kind of looks through, looks in through a little slit in the door. Sure enough, these four massive thousand-pound bulls are jammed into this tiny little trailer, which is multiple steps up into. Not only that, but the door is locked. There is no entrance that these bulls could have gotten into the pen. So it's an impossibility to jam these huge, powerful animals into this tiny, crammed little space. You know anybody that's a rancher, they'll tell you there's no getting the bulls in there. And they were like catatonic. So he yells to his wife, hey, I found him. And as he says that, they go berserk, absolutely broke the catatonic state, go berserk, and they pound and smash the inside of this trailer, breaking out a side of the wall, and escape out. So the NIDS team is is looking at this, this um, event, and they're like, what is the mechanism with which somehow these bulls were transported into this um, tiny little pen or this, t- this tiny little trailer when there's cobwebs on the inside of this door? They verified that door was not open. So how did the bulls get in there? How, you know, how, how did this precognitive sentient intelligence seemingly playing tricks on him? You know, why? Why did it do this? How did it do this? And then just as a little cherry on, on top of the, on the paranormal Sunday here, all of the metal corral was highly, highly magnetized for about two hours after this event. So what? that's a great, yeah, so, so that's a brain teaser. Is, is that a part of the mechanism of how these bulls were transported into this, uh, you know, holding? I, it's, it, it's, it's something that science couldn't tackle. They just couldn't tackle this. And, and, and kind of like the farewell, we don't mention in the film, but the farewell kind of F you to the scientists was on one of their last days. The morning of, the, the, the rancher finds an ice circle on this thin millimeter ice that is sitting on top of this flowing it's it's a little bit flowing little creek and it was so thin that the that the the heat ended up melting it you know by you know 8 or 9 in the morning it could not have been drawn with, by bearing any weight by having an animal on there or a human on there it, i mean it is a real physical thing that happened but again it's what is it what what is this mean it was carved with something they took analysis and samples and but they, they couldn't figure it out. So these were kind of almost benign things, but they were some of the stranger things. Yeah, but there's much stranger. I mean, animals appearing in in trees with huge glowing eyes, where the the cattle are screaming and going crazy. Dogs being obliterated into you know basically biological goo. You know, blue orbs inducing a fear that is so external and so irrational that it it was like externally produced fear. Um, you know, these blue orbs they call them blue meanies. You know, they they tend to freak out the cattle, freak out the dogs, and 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 freak out humans. You know, they're without going too far. It's something that George has mentioned, so I, I can mention it to a degree. 
But during this Defense Intelligence Agency study, there there were some badass military individuals who were put on the property with night vision to scout out and try to determine national security threats of the phenomenon. And they, they encountered something. They encountered something that induced so much fear that I don't think their lives have ever been the same again. You know, the, the term by the Defense Intelligence Agency was hitchhiker. And uh, hitchhike is the term of something following you home. The phenomenon seems to act, and, and I'm not just saying this, I've seen the effects of this. The phenomenon seems to act as a virus. It, it seems to attach, and it might not infect you, but it, it, it could infect your loved ones. And, and more than often, that's what happens. And events occur off the ranch if you've been there. And oftentimes, it's a secondary thing. It, it's your loved ones that are affected. So that that's kind of strange. And um, that's been warned to me multiple occasions that that can occur. That's scary to think, man, because I know, like you said, you personally didn't really experience much there, but that doesn't mean you're not going to in the future, especially if this thing has whatever the phenomena is, that it's able to tap into even your consciousness. I know you tackle this briefly in the film as well, and really leave a lasting impact on you, even if you didn't experience it right then and there on the ranch. That's very Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not easily scared or dissuaded, and I, I love ghost stories, but I'm really not afraid of them. You know, I don't have much fear. Maybe it's because I haven't experienced anything personally. Other people have, and I have seen the effects on them psychologically, and obviously animals have been affected, you know, mutilated. They have been killed. They have been murdered. I mean, there's that aspect to it. The, the phenomenon can be quite violent. Uh, however, because I haven't experienced something myself, you know, honestly, I don't have any fear about it. I seem impervious to the evil that it could be. Um, I, I do have a healthy respect for the people and the events that have been described and uh, the, the the impact of those events that I have seen. But quite honestly, I I feel really good there. You know, I, mm -hmm. I get a positive feeling when I'm there. Right. And I mean, one of the un other individuals that was there with you had some of his own feelings about that. And this will really, you know, connect more with our British listeners. So I got to ask, man, how did this happen? How did you get Robbie Williams, this former boy band member turned indie musician, you know, solo musician? How did you get him involved with your investigation? Yeah, I mean, you know, Robbie is a, a really interesting person and he has become a good friend. And how I met Robbie was through George Knapp. George Knapp had been good friends with him and George Knapp met him through uh, the head of, you know, the founder of AboveTopSecret.com, you know, Mark, Mark Allen. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how Robbie came into my orbit. However, I didn't know Robbie's, you know, international fame. I, I didn't know that he's one of the top selling music artists on the planet. And I mean, who did he just open for? Taylor Swift, or not open, sorry, he did a guest appearance for Taylor Swift. I mean, the guy's like a major, major famous musician. I mean, he can't walk in Europe anywhere without getting mobbed. I mean, yeah. it's apparently that's the story, but I didn't know anything about that. I just met Robbie and thought he was an awesome dude. And he has genuine interest in engaging this topic and learning more about, it. I mean, genuine interest. And it was a very natural thing because of his friendship with Mark Allen and his friendship with George Knapp and then his, you know, our friendship. It was a very natural thing to include Robbie on this trip. I mean, he's not the focus of the movie, as you see. He's just kind of there and you get to hear a little bit of what he has to say. But, it, you know, he's just somebody who was along with us who I really respect and has genuine interest and also has some pretty extraordinary uh, personal experiences that he would love 
to get answers for. So so that's kind of Robbie's, you know, role in the movie is, you know, like me, uh, he's just an explorer. He's he's interested to see and to learn about the phenomenon. And, and that's Robbie's Robbie's interest. I mean, he, he's got a big story, man. I mean, a big story. You know, his song Arizona was influenced you know, by the, the paranormal. And he has seen and, and witnesses around him have seen this incredible activity. I mean, he's been a UFO has been so close to him. He could have hit it with a tennis ball. These are all sober experiences. He, he also, as an example, there's a 20 minute bonus material piece where he explains when he was writing the song Arizona, which is about alien abduction, mm-hmm. how there was an object, a, a glowing orb that was out over the balcony that would turn on anytime the song was played. And He's like, I'm not going to get fooled by you, Venus. He's keeping it to himself. He's, he's not telling his friends. And then his friends notice. <laughs> and he says, watch this. He turns on the song. And, you know, look, there is a massive connection between art and music and creativity and the appearance of what we call UFOs, the, the, the display of what we call UFOs. Absolutely. I, I've been a proponent of that for a very long time, being an artist myself in, in some ways. I do think, yes, there is definitely a connection. And I was really interested to hear how much it inspired Robbie's music moving forward. And like you said, in the bonus material, he really goes in depth about his own experiences. Uh, so watching all those bonus materials is another plus to, uh, to viewing your film, as you get these, these more in-depth looks at some of the people involved with all of this. Uh, and and we'll definitely touch on that. Um, I want to I wanna ask you about moving forward with the ranch, Jeremy. Now, you did mention there is a new owner, and that that is what really opened the floodgates for you to finally be able to do this film. So under new ownership, you also said that it's back. And I'd really like to touch on that. Activity on the ranch has increased... So could you tell us a little about I, I know you can't reveal the the you know who the new owner is, but sort of his thoughts on maybe why he purchased the ranch first and foremost and what might still be going on there. Sure. And you know, that's why I really included an hour and a half, another full movie of, you know, bonus material was because this story is so big, you know, you need more time. And one of those bonus material pieces is a ten minute in-depth interview with the new owner. So so that's why I you know, if you go to iTunes, you can get or, or Vimeo, you can get that full bonus material package. And it, it's almost as it is as important as as the full movie. It it actually goes much deeper, the bonus material. So I highly recommend that. You will see an interview with the new owner. And I just also want to say the first thing I ask him is why are you keeping your identity secret? And he, he corrected me And if you watch the movie. And he says, I'm keeping my identity confidential for – and he listed the reasons. And, and they're really good reasons. I mean he has a large business empire and it would be distracting to both fields if, if his identity was out. So I really respect that. I will never you know, say his name even if other people do. But uh, I believe knowing him now for quite some time, his interest – is the same as your or my interest. He just has great resource to to dedicate to this. He purchased the ranch from Robert Bigelow to reinvigorate uh, the the study and to to come at it from a unique angle. 
and to try to get answers and share those answers with the public, which is so interesting to me. You know, that's his goal. He wants to get closer to the truth and share it with you. So I think this is his first step is allowing me to to put this out. I mean, he asked nothing of me. He, he's a, what a great guy. I mean, he just wanted to honor all the work maybe George has done over the years and, and allow me to put this out and bring the public closer to understanding it. So that's what I think his motivation is. And I would say that it is pretty fascinating the amount of activity that has been reported as of recent privately, not publicly, privately at the ranch and the, the methods in which they're using to capture data on the phenomenon. But historically, this is what happens when there is a new person that comes to the branch um, that can often invoke this high strangeness. So it's not surprising to me that things really picked up when there was a change of ownership. And I think what's also important, and you do ask this of him in the film, is, is the government still involved with investigating this? And, you know, he's sort of coy when he answers, and we won't give away too much here, but the fact that this could possibly still be going on under the new ownership, like you mentioned, there is still a program studying Skinwalker Ranch, this breakoff or, you know, subset of A-tip, as it were, which I find fascinating as well. Well, wow. You know, so let's let's get specific here. I, I'm shocked I put that in. I must have put that in a bonus material. Wow. I don't know if I should have done that. But <laughs> um, so but I will touch on it then. So, you know, the, the, the 22 million and it, it was never a tip, you know, a tip was a reactionary program, uh, advanced aerospace threat identification program, a reactionary program to study military encounters, military sightings. A tip never had anything to do with the ranch. Uh, OSAP. Uh, Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Application Program, that was really the house for the $22 million that paid out to Bass. But Bass was really the contract, uh, the contractual group that, that got the contract to study the ranch. So, so that – and they look, they generated – you know, they're not public at this time, but I think, you know, 25 – you know, scientific reports, the first 10 months generated 490 pages, one report. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Uh, Bass had 40 or 50 people, a rapid response team, uh, you know, for the ranch and other things. So Bass was proactive. They studied everything from the biological effects associated with prolonged UAP exposure or UFO exposure. Um, they, they studied the optical nature of wormholes as seen on Skinwalker Ranch. I mean, George Knapp and I have really released a lot of information about that, which nobody else has. Mm-hmm. We, we have started to put that out you know, through sources. So, so you will see more of that. But just to be clear, that's, you know, it wasn't a tip. That was military. That was reactive. It, it was Bass under OSAP. And, and that's what the movie really talks about. It really reveals that. It details it for you. Now, is there current government involvement at the ranch? I don't think I answered that specifically, but let's just say it's a lie when they said – when the New York Times and when the, even when the, the Pentagon spokespeople said that in 2012, ATIP was defunct. It, it, it stopped. That's a lie. That's not true. And that's been proven time and time again and will continue to be proven. So I would be very happy to know that there still is interest from not only the individual running and owning the ranch, but maybe, maybe people um, in government position that could really help. Very interesting. Well, I'm going to sort of put you on the spot here. So let's say 
let's say that uh, the new owner invited you personally back to the ranch. You know, if given that opportunity, knowing the activity has increased, like he he said, you know, but also knowing that possibly nothing would happen if you went back, would you? Would you go back onto the ranch if if given that chance? Oh yeah, I, I actually pretty much assume that I'm going to have continued uh, correspondence with the ranch. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, this is an ongoing thing. Just because I made a movie doesn't mean I'm satisfied and my investigations are over. I'll keep right. filming. You know, I'll keep going there as long as the invitation is open, which it appears to be. You know, there is a coordinated attempt to work all together to get and document this information. I am a little bit, I guess, a part of it now, which is great, or a big part of it, I guess. So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, I'm I will continue to you know, evolve my understanding and to investigate. And as much as I'm welcomed and invited, and my focus goes far beyond the ranch, though, it's the entire Uinta Basin. It's the people there that I've made relationships with, and it will extend beyond the ranch itself and maybe to other hot spots that I've become aware of that are private and that kind of thing. Yeah, I will. I will continue. Now, I'm speaking for me. I know other people, like George Knapp said, he he doesn't really feel he wants to tempt fate anymore. You know, he's seen the effects of continued exposure to whatever's at the ranch, and it has not been positive. I think it would take something really big to to bring George Knapp back to the ranch. But you know, you never know with him. If I keep poking <laughs> at him, you know, <laughs> I keep poking at him. We'll see if we can get him back there again. But right. I don't know. If I'm invited, I'll go. Awesome. Oh, that's good to hear. Well, let me know if you need some company, my man. I'm definitely yeah. <laughs> for that. Um, Jasper. Yes. Um, sort of mixing your films together here for a minute, a mashup of sorts. To your knowledge, do you know if to the Stars Academy, you know, Luis Elizondo or anyone involved with ATIP or even Bass, I guess, at this point, have any of them ever consulted or spoken with Bob Lazar, to your knowledge, about what he experienced? I'm, I'm just curious. So, no. Um, okay. You know, it, it, it's completely separate. I'm trying to think how I can answer this, though. There, there is something interesting that I want to say, and I just need to be cognizant of, uh, you know, when you're asked to keep uh, something to yourself. So let me contemplate this a second. Bob Lazar's story, if true, which is something you need to decide, is very powerful, especially if there was, say, government inquiry to secrecy around the topic of UFOs. So if there was an attempt to even have closed congressional briefings on the subject, I would find it highly fascinating if Lazar's name would come up as somebody who could testify to his experiences. I don't know if that answers your question, but no, TTSA, um, although I know Tom is going to do a, a basic book on, on Bob's you know, on his life, you know, the, the basics of his story. I know that's coming out. I can't wait for that. That's pretty cool. I've already, you know, I'm aware of it. Uh, but no, I, I, I don't know if I answered you, but yeah, there, there's, let's just say that I am aware that there is interest in Bob's story from, from multiple angles, Mm -hmm. people that believe his story. Yeah, I mean, that that answers it for me. I mean, yeah, we, we, we also don't know what happens behind closed doors either, you know? So, yeah, who knows? I, I just thought I found that a, a curious inquiry from a listener of ours trying to make connections that might be there or might not. I guess we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. So to sort of wrap this up with you, Jeremy, today, what do you want people to get 
out of watching the film? What 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 is your primary goal with Hunt for the Skinwalker here? You know, look uh, again. A, a great quote from George Knapp is, you know, it's our duty to investigate the unexplained, not explain the uninvestigated. So what I would like is for everybody, first of all, to support this type of endeavor by purchasing the film straight up. Go buy the film on iTunes or Vimeo or Amazon. By you doing that and sharing the film with another person, you you exponentially increase my ability to make another film and to go deeper into this subject. I am a pure 100% independent filmmaker. So when you watch and purchase my film, that actually allows me to continue to do my work. This is not some big Hollywood studio. This is me. So – I would like you to go purchase the film. I'd like you to watch the film. And I'd like you to maintain an open mind where you're investigating the unexplained with me in the film. And then I would like you to get great questions from what it is you see and go explore these questions for yourself. I want you to engage this topic. We need bright, creative minds from different angles engaging this topic. One person, one film, one podcast, one film. It's not enough. Everybody needs to pitch in and participate. If you have an ounce of curiosity about it, that's a sign. That's a sign you got to be involved. So that's what I want the film to do. I want it to weaponize your curiosity. I want it to move you from being a passive observer and consumer of this type of information to being an active participant and contributor. Simple. I couldn't put it better myself, Jeremy. Where can we find all of your other work and your films? What is the hub? Everything is found at ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com, and that's where you can see all of my current, past, and future film work. For the movie Hunt for the Skinwalker, really, go to iTunes. Buy the bad boy. It's so worth it. You guys, you're going to enjoy the movie. It's a real ride, a real journey. And again, it's a miracle I could get you this footage and get you this story at this time. This this movie was never supposed to be made. In fact, it was, it was prohibited to be made. Now you, you can see it. Absolutely. And I have to end here with probably the most powerful quote I took from you personally in this film is something prowls here, something lurks. And if you hunt it, it's going to hunt you back. So Jeremy, I have to thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. I am stoked to be on your show because I'm a fan of your show. So let's drop this episode. Let's weaponize people's curiosity and I'll catch you next time. I'm in, brother. Let's do it. That's it for this week's episode. Again, Hunt for the Skinwalker is available on iTunes and Vimeo starting tomorrow, September 11. Order right now and receive hours of bonus features. For more info on this film and all of Jeremy's previous and upcoming films, be sure to visit his official website, ExtraordinaryBeliefs.com. Somewhere in the Skies recently hit number one and number four on several categories on iTunes Canada. Thank you so much to my Canadian listeners for making this happen. To my listeners in other countries and to my hometown U.S. residents, I hope you'll consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. It is the largest platform for podcasts and helps us gain new listeners. Thank you in advance. We're on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. You can also join our very active Facebook group. Just search for Somewhere in the Skies Podcast and request an invite. All past episodes, articles, news, and contact information can be found at the website, 
somewhereintheskies.com. Thank you to E1 Podcasts, KGRA Radio, and to all of you for listening. I'll see you here next week. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. To learn more, visit entertainmentonepodcast.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.